Welcome into the JP and Hack Show, part of the Field of 12 Media Network. This is season one, episode 13. I know that's right because I checked. We are presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. I'm Joshua Perry, of course, joined by my guy, Christian Hackenberg. Good week in the Big Ten this past week. I think this weekend is going to be another good one. A um, lot of stuff to react to, a lot of storylines to follow. What do you say we get into it? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Good, good Big Ten football, bud. I'm excited about this. All right. Let's uh, get a little recapper of the previous week. We have Rutgers beating Indiana 38 to three. That was a big one. I got some questions to ask you about that. Cause I mean, we're both probably pretty excited there. Um, yeah. Wisconsin has been rolling lately 35 to seven over Northwestern Michigan state 40 Maryland, 21 Iowa, 27 Minnesota, 22. This one was a very interesting game. And of course your thoughts will be valued on that one. Then you had Ohio State 59, Purdue 31, a very unique game there. And then Michigan with the gritty win at Penn State 21 to 17 was the final on that one. Um, we got college football playoff rankings, really not a lot changed. Um, let me pull these bad boys up real quick for you. But it was pretty much the same as last week. Georgia won, Alabama 2, Oregon 3, Ohio State 4, Cincinnati 5, Michigan at 6, Michigan State at 7. Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, and Wake Forest will round out the top 10 right there for you. Other Big Ten teams making appearances, Wisconsin at 15. And I think they've earned that just based off of how they've played the back half of the year. Iowa sitting there at 17. And I think that is a very precarious 17 for Iowa. Um, before we get into the meat of this, there is one thing I wanted to talk about with this CFP rankings release. And I had a real issue a week ago when the committee moved Michigan over Michigan State following Michigan State's loss to Purdue. Because to me, the head-to-head -head result was so recent that it would be very hard to discount it. And Purdue is a team who had shown that they can beat great teams. They're not a great team themselves. So that's not a good loss for Michigan State. But they played 10 days before the rankings came out and they had the gall to jump Michigan over Michigan state. And so Gary Barta was asked about that again this week. And his response was set aside watching the games though. That's certainly a part of it, but sp uh, statistically in just about every category offensively and defensively, Michigan comes out on top over Michigan state. So two issues for this. Number one, they played the game, and statistically, they came out on the losing end, the scoreboard. Very important. The result should matter. But number two, and this is where it really irks me, is if we are going to set aside watching the games, then why the hell don't we give it back to the computers? If you're just going to look at stats and you're going to look at numbers and you're not going to watch the football games, give it back to the computers because they, they will use a head-to-head -head result for other teams as, oh, well, we can't do X, Y, and Z. But in this case, they're just so willing to throw it out. It's the inconsistency that really just gets on my nerves with this. Well, I think, I think you can make that argument for Oregon and Ohio State, right? I know that Oregon has the head up, but the way Ohio State's been playing recently um, and Oregon having that bad loss to Stanford, who's a three and five football team, and I think Purdue has shown a better uh, – propensity to be able to go out and beat a really good football team than Stanford has. 
with the exception of Oregon. So, um, but there is, it's funny you say this because there's an old saying, uh, I believe the last time I heard the quote was Ron Rivera um, when he left Carolina and it was figures lie and liars figure. Mm. Right? I think this game, football, there's so many elements that go into it. There's so many uncontrollable factors that when you sit there and try to rely on statistics to tell the story or to value something over another, unlike any other sport, all that stuff's out the window in football. And I think that's a really good point. And when you, when you do watch the tape, um, I think Michigan's a very good football team. I think Michigan state is a very good football team and both of them have some games here ahead of them to be able to prove it. And I think it's going to work itself out, but rankings are rankings and people are going to do what they want to do. But like I said, to, to sit there and justify that by numbers and statistics. Um, I think that, that again, they just kind of count. They, it shouldn't be the justification. They shouldn't even have a justification because I'm sure if you look at the offensive statistics with Ohio state to Oregon, right. Um, it's probably very skewed to Ohio state and they're still sitting behind Oregon. Um, so when you start making justifications like that and it's not uniform across the board and there's really no formula for it, you're kind of setting yourself up to get shots fired your direction. And to me, I'd avoid that at all costs. I'd just say, you know, this is what we value and, and keep it moving. So I do agree with you, you know, when people start talking and opening their mouths, it oftentimes gets them in trouble. Yeah. And I just, I feel like the committee is losing a lot of trust right now in, uh, the, the viewers and in, in college football consumers, which is a bad thing, but I think there's some part of the stakeholders. And, and what I mean by that is the teams that are playing that are probably losing trust in what this committee is doing. And you said something that I think is probably the bigger point to me is Michigan and Michigan state have games down the line here that will get this whole thing sorted out. I 100% believe that. And it's the same reason why I, I still believe that Oregon you can justify having them in front of Ohio state is they will each have games at the end of the year that will sort this out. Ohio state's got a gauntlet coming up. And if they can move through that, then they deserve to be the higher ranked team. Oregon doesn't have those same type of games. So if they're not dominant, they don't go out there and look like what the number three teams should look like, then you're probably going to see a flip-flop. But the whole point is letting that play out. It's not about saying, well, we looked at the stats and we just made a decision, especially a couple of weeks after the game actually happened on the field. Yep. Yeah. Justify it exactly how you just did say that there's games left and it'll figure itself out to me. That shows a bigger understanding. Right. And I think that you'd gain more trust within that fan base that you were talking about. Um, but yeah, man, I wouldn't want to be those guys making those decisions. And quite frankly, I've been a proponent of it since the beginning of the year. And, and since the field of 12 became the field of 12, I think that that we definitely need to start talking some type of expansion. And I think the timing couldn't be more perfect in terms of what's gone on in college football this year and the depth of yes. teams across yes. the country. Um, it, the timing's perfect. And all the stuff going on, Texas, Oklahoma, leaving, trying to go to the SEC, um, it's going to be really hard to narrow down to four, I think, consistently. Yep. Um, I agree with you on that. I think, and I've, I have not been a fan of expansion, expansion necessarily because in most years you feel like there probably aren't more than six teams that could actually truly win it all. 
And this year has been so different. The, the parody that you mentioned, the fact that we feel like a team that's sitting maybe even at 13, 14 this year could have a case. It's very unique. And a lot of these issues get sorted out. The difference between being six and seven, like y'all are both getting yeah. in so you can prove it. What, what I will say is, is unlike any, unlike years past, because I do agree with you years past, really the past five or six years, there was a clear cut, like right at that four or five spot, right? Like anyone else after that really didn't have a shot. To me, one of the biggest reasons for this is the transfer portal now and the demand on kids to be able to kids step on campus and want to play. And we've, we touched on that earlier, or maybe it was on the after dark show. I touched on it, but like the expectation for kids now is at 18 years old, you need to come in and make an impact. Whereas even seven, eight years ago, when you came on campus, there was, there was a learning curve for the most part. It was, it was a, Hey, sit down, buy your time, learn the system, develop, you know, all kinds of different things went on. Now at 18 years old, you're expected to come in and make an impact and kids have that expectation. And when that doesn't happen, they're automatically looking, all right, where can I go and play right now? What yep. can I go do, do play right now? And I think that has led to this depth and you've seen it. I mean, look at Michigan state, Michigan state did a great job in the transfer portal this year right. and they've completely went 180. So I think it's only going to continue to be a trend. And I think it's only going to add more depth and spread the talent across college football. As long as, I mean, there's always going to be opportunities to go play and kids, as long as kids try and seek those out, I think we're kind of setting ourselves up for it. And that's why I said, I think it's like the perfect storm. And I think, you really need to start letting these kids go out and play. It'll be a really interesting thing. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when it finally comes. Uh, let's get yep. into some uh, some old breakdowns here of these mm-hmm. games. We'll start with the uh, Michigan victory over Penn State. And just looking at it on the surface, I think it's a really gutsy performance for Michigan. It was kind of an ugly Big Ten football game. Um, Cade McNamara went out and made a couple of really good passes, but – it felt like Hassan Haskins' legs really kept Michigan's offense going. He was getting the tough, gritty yards. This is something that he's done time after time. Um, defensively for Michigan, seven sacks, 12 TFLs. I mean, it, it was a, a thorough domination of Penn State's offensive line. They gave up a couple of explosives to Dotson. That's going to happen. He really didn't take over the game. But I think part of this story here, if you are a Penn State consumer – is some of the questionable game management that went on there. And that drive with the fake punt, I think, was very greedy to try to get a fake field goal. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the things like that where people really start to get frustrated as they watch Penn State football. Um, and they, they had a chance. You know, Michigan didn't fully close the door. Penn State had a chance, but Michigan was able to come up with clutch plays in the end. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the one thing that, that is glowing, I mean, the first two third downs of the game, they overset Aiden Hutchinson and he rips Cliff's head off. And then the next opportunity, they don't even decide to block um, the other, the other, the other, the other defensive end who is a phenomenal player. Ajabo. Well. He's so, really good. Ajabo. Yeah. I mean, they're both, they're both fantastic, but like, that's how you start the game off, right? Like you'd expect to set the tempo. If your game plans to go in there and start chipping these guys, got to have it type situations. Um, kind of want to make sure you're accounting for them. Yeah, uh, and I don't know if that was a miscommunication um, or what, 
But regardless, if it was, that's not really the way you want to start the game from Penn State. And they, they looked asleep early. They came alive in that third quarter. But they just got to play more consistent um, top to bottom offensively. And I think I think this was a great win for Michigan. Um, not easy to go up to Beaver Stadium. Historically speaking, the last few years, Michigan's really struggled, struggled with Penn State. Yep. Uh, I think Harbaugh really needed this. Um, yep. We talked about it. You asked if it was a bigger game for which team, I think, last week. And uh, I think I think Michigan's going to really reap the benefits of this of having mm-hmm. a having a gritty slugfest type game and being able to come out on the on the on the winning side of that. I think it was good for Cade, uh, especially with what's coming down the pipe. So um, really, I think I think you touched on it. You you did a great job of breaking it down. And you know, tip of the tip of the cap to Michigan in terms of how they came out, played, prepared, and executed when they needed to. And I agree with you. Penn State kind of they just looked all over the map. Yeah. Um, and it was it was almost there was desperation in a game where I don't think that they necessarily needed to be that I desperate. Agree. You know, it was it was a it was a game, and I get it if you want to be aggressive, but there's a difference between aggressive and desperate. And I think they 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 towed that line and crossed it a few times, and it it ultimately came back to bite them. Yeah, I definitely agree with that analysis there of of being desperate rather than aggressive. And you talked about Mike Yersich as a play caller and how there's not really an identity to the offense. And as I went back and I watched the coaches tape, like, you know, you you see them getting into these like double tight closet formations to try to do some different things. And then all of a sudden you see them spread out like four by one diamond set. And it, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of rhythm to it. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of um, cohesion to it. It's, it's a little bit of we're going to call what we think might work in this situation. It's a jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. And in today's game, I firmly believe it. You need to have, you need to have some form of identity and some form of foundation that you can fall back on and I don't think Penn State has that offensively and I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line play and the inconsistency up there their inability to run the football um, that oftentimes leaves you behind the sticks yep. Yep. scrambling praying for explosive plays and having to get creative so um, I think there are some personnel issues that is that has hurt Yersich in terms of being able to do that. But I also think that, that he could have done a better job spring, summer leading into this, um, figuring that out. And I, I don't know if they did or if they didn't. Um, I don't know if they just feel that they, there's a lot that goes on and I don't want to speak yep. for him, but I yep. think you need to have, you, you definitely need to have that foundation to fall back on in order to expand upon that. And they, they don't have it. Yeah. So I want to end this conversation right here is on the Michigan side of things. Um, and I said this before the, uh, the old committee ever said this, so don't anybody think that I'm taking their talking points, but I do believe that the university of Michigan is the most complete team in the big 10 conference. I think that they, their passing game makes a ton of sense. They're effective in how they want to do it with throwing some of the underneath routes and doing the catch and run thing and connecting on shots when they have to. Um, The run game obviously has been a strong suit for them. And I think their offensive line is really good. Defensively, 
are they susceptible in the secondary? Yes. Do I think there is an elite secondary in the Big Ten? I don't know because I haven't seen what I think might be the best one go up against Ohio State. Um, so in saying that, I think defensively they're, they're well put together and they've got two edge rushers who are phenomenal. So if I had to pick a weakness out for this team, it would be something that I said earlier, is I feel like they have left the door open in certain games. You can go back to the Rutgers game where that, that game got closer than it needed to. And then you look at the Nebraska game, it got closer than it needed to. This game, Penn State was able to take a lead. Michigan came back, they shut the door, they finished it off. Where it hurt them was against Michigan State, where they were up by a ton of points, and Michigan State was able to come back and get the win. And so as we evaluate this Michigan team, the one thing I would like to see from them is when they are in control of the game, they end it right there. And if they can do that, it's going to be a very good end of the year for them. Yeah, they just need some kill. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it comes down to. They need some finish. They need some dog. They need to be able to go out and finish the fight when – when they fought it, when they fought a really good six rounds, go out in that seventh round and knock them out and don't, don't make it go 12. Before we move on to the next topic, if you are looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic, why not save time and money with stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS, USPS, and services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're selling online or running an office or a side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much money and time and stress during the holidays. How? By allowing you to access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip and get discounts you can't find anywhere else. Like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS rates. In 2021, if you're still going to the post office instead of using stamps.com, it's like taking the stairs instead of the elevator. You're going, you're going up a couple of floors? Sure, take the stairs. Walking up 30 flights a day, you could use a break. And if you spend more than a few minutes a week dealing with mail and shipping, stamps.com is a lifesaver. You'll save so much time and money, you'll wonder why you didn't start sooner. So join stamps.com now and save time and money this holiday season and sign up with promo code JPHack for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code JPHack. Um, all right, let's, let's uh, flip the script here and talk about this Ohio State game. Um, mm -hmm. Ohio State 59, Purdue 31. Uh, very interesting. Ohio State comes out early on, scoring a ton of points. They had 21 in the first quarter, and then they added another 24 on top of that. So they're going in at halftime with 45 points on the board. Absolutely an offensive flurry of whatever they wanted. Um, at that point, Purdue only had 17 on the board. Um, it was tied basically in the second half, 14 to each team. So this is where I have a little bit of dissonance. I thought the offensive performance for Ohio State was phenomenal. And this was a Purdue defense that had George Karloftis who could wreck a game and Ohio State completely neutralized him. This was a top 10 pass efficiency defense in the nation and Ohio State went out and handled business in the pass game. 
right? Run game was better. They did all the things they needed to do. Defensively, they gave up a ton of yards and 31 points. And I know there are a lot of people that would say, well, they were up by so much in the game. They were probably just trying to get out of there and they played soft coverage because they'd rather give up the underneath than the over the top. And I guess my criticism there is number one, those are not valuable reps when you when you play basically the whole game playing soft coverage just so they can dink and dunk down the field. Don't like that. But number two, why couldn't you play tight coverage? Were you scared you were going to get beat? Because at some point you're going to be in a game where your offense isn't putting up 59 and the defense got to do better than giving up 390 in the past game and 31 points. And so I want to hear your take on this. Am I being too critical of the home team? Well, I think you are. You've been really critical on, on your boys all year. I I think just watching college football, I think Ohio State might be one of maybe two or three teams in the country that from a matchup standpoint can go out and play Georgia. And and if they turn it into a track meet, I think it could get interesting. Um, the one thing I don't think – I am a massive Aiden O'Connell fan, and I think that that kid is really good. And I think a lot of that second half respect is that they didn't want to give him the chance to burn them because I don't think it's necessarily so much a, that they were afraid of Purdue's receivers. I think they were afraid of Aiden's ability to throw the football. Um, And for that, playing that game, when you have a kid like that, who's on the hot streak that he's on and is playing as confidently as he's playing, uh, Big kudos to him for being able to take what the defense was giving him because when you're down in a game and you want to keep going, it's really hard not to try to force a few things. Um, and I think that was Ohio State's mentality. And unfortunately for them, Aiden did not cave. He stayed with it, um, took what they gave him, and moved the football in the second half. Um, but at that point, they were just too far behind. So I, I understand where they were going if that was their thought process and that – to me, that would be the one thought process that thought process that makes sense. Um, but I also see your side of it. I know you want to see your guys, you know, this is, this is uncharacteristic of an Ohio state team from what I'm used to, where to your point in these situations, this becomes a competitive thing, right? They know they're not going to lose the football game, right? But now it's about, now it's about taking those reps and how, the value of those reps going yeah. up for your team, big picture. Unlike Ohio State in the past, I think this team's a little bit different. I think their thought process is a little bit different. They're a little bit more narrow-minded. I don't think they see the big picture as much because of their situation. Um, but for them, if they can stay in this rhythm and stay in what they're doing, especially offensively, I, I like I said, I think they're one of the few teams in the country that can make a push against the Georgia's against Georgia's defense. Um, so I understand, but I also can see why they did what they did. Um, and like I said, I, I'm, I'm high on Ohio state, yeah. you know, I, I, just offensively, I think there's yeah. just too many weapons. There's too many options. I think they have, um, they have a, they have a luxury and uh, they got a kid that can facilitate at the quarterback position and, yeah, I mean, you know, they played really well. This is an offensive game. The the way college yeah. football is played right now is you have to have a team that can score points, and I'm I'm totally on board with that. But even like just you, I watched the tape. I went through the stats. Like I'm trying to find 
a way to let this not irk me. And here I am, like I'm putting my fan cap on 100%, yeah. but you, you play soft and you still give up seven passes of 20 or more. Like that's not good. And then the reason why I asked the question, did you play like that? Because you, you were afraid to play some tight coverage. Um, two of their touchdowns came off of like Ohio State trying to get on body and they either got picked on some mesh routes or it was a coverage bust and somebody's wide ass open. And that's the kind of stuff that gives me a lot of trepidation because now when you go into play a Michigan State, for example, and you've got to defend Kenneth Walker and make sure he can't run, but Michigan State's got a couple weapons on the outside, that's where you start to say, okay, you might have to get on body. You might need to play some man-to-man so you can get the box count right. Can your guys hold yeah. up? It'll be really interesting to see. Um, but I'm I'm on board with you in the fact that a team that can put up 45 points and a half of football in, in this day and age, it's, it's just, I don't know what you do about that. Dude, they're running on race fuel, man. And, you know, the best support to a defense with some holes is an offense yeah. that can score. Yeah, it's putting right? up a, a shit ton and, of points. You know, if, but I think that's really Ohio State's motto this year. It's like, let's let's turn this thing into a track meet. And with their personnel, uh, they're one of the few teams in the country that can do that. Yeah. So, you know, it, you're going to live in – it's like living and dying by the three, man. I mean, right. they're they're out there they're out there pulling. Um, yeah, they shoot them. It might it might catch up to them. It might not. You know what I mean? Um, so we'll see. We definitely will see. Last one I wanted to hit on from the weekend, just because this was an interesting game in terms of statistics, is Iowa and Minnesota. Iowa won this game. Iowa should not have won this football game. Minnesota statistically. 99% of the time would win the game. They won all the stats that you would say matter. 409 total yards versus 277 for Iowa, 189 yards in the run game versus 71 for Iowa. They had 23 first downs in the game versus 12 for Iowa. Possessed the ball for 40 minutes of the game and still lost. So this is a lesson in how critical situations in games matter. You have to get the critical plays. This is also a lesson in figures lie and liars figure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take this full circle uh, here. There you go. Um, I, I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, yeah man. Uh, I'll tell you what. It's a bummer for, Michigan, for Minnesota. Um, especially coming off of last week, you feel really bad for that football team. Um, interesting thing is, is they got some chances to play spoilers and who knows what happens, you know, stay in the fight. But I agree with you, man. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's frustrating to watch, but that is football. And it's, it's also beautiful at the same time. And I mm -hmm. think when you do make those plays, uh, Iowa had the backup in there uh, at the quarterback position um, they made some, took advantage of some big plays and, yeah. and ultimately scored some points when Minnesota couldn't. And, uh, you know, Hey, it's one of those things where I think again, PJ, PJ doesn't need to go back to the drawing board. No, try and he just needs to keep coaching. Yeah. You just need, you just need to keep, what, what's it? You need to keep rowing. You need to yep. keep rowing. And, uh, yep. I hope, I, I, I know he will. Um, 
but you, you really can't you can't you can't overanalyze it. Um, can't talk about it too much because it'll drive you nuts. You know, yeah. you just gotta you just gotta keep 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 the ship going in the right direction and weather the storm. Um, and they'll come out better on the other side. But good bounce back game uh, for Minnesota, at least offensively. You know, I think I think they they did some really good things. And you know, like you said, it's one of those things where sometimes they just make plays when you didn't, and 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 that's football. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with you on the bounce back. I thought it was pretty solid uh, just overall the way that they were able to play offensively, especially the run game that was shut down. Um, they really got that back on track. And now a quick message from our sponsors over at BetterHelp. Is there something that is preventing you from achieving your goals or interfering with your happiness? If there is, let me tell you guys about BetterHelp, professional help done securely online. Check out, check out betterhelp.com slash jphack. BetterHelp will assess your individual needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist to allow you to connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient you can start communicating in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's an avenue to assessing professional therapy without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp has licensed professionals who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, as well as relationship and grief counseling. You can message your counselor at any time and get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Find the particular expertise you need online. Don't limit yourself to the counselors located near you and do it in a manner that is more affordable than traditional online counseling. Financial aid is available. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you will get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash jphack. Join over the 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash jphack today. So this helps us kind of segue into our second segment, uh, our big thoughts. And I want to start with Wisconsin because we entered last weekend with the four-way tie for the top spot in the West. And we watched those teams go out and battle. Obviously Purdue had a, a, a terrible draw against Ohio state and, and got ran out of the building and, and that'll happen. Um, you had Minnesota facing off with Iowa, which was a classic clunky big 10 battle and Iowa comes out on top of that. And then you have Wisconsin who for the last couple of weeks, they've kind of been able to just cruise. They've, I mean, they've really been able to exercise some of those demons that they had as a team and yep. get things back on track. So the question to you is the way that things have been trending, is it a foregone conclusion that Wisconsin will win the West? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, Wisconsin finishes with Nebraska and then Minnesota. Um, if I can think correctly, or let me let me actually look at who who does Wisconsin who did Wisconsin play the last few weeks? It was Northwestern this they week, North, right? This past North, week, uh, and Rutgers, Rutgers, right? Yeah. So I think those were teams where realistically they could cruise. I think the way the schedule kind of shaped out for them, it, it was good for them. You know, they had a few they had a few bumps in the road in their beginning of the year, middle of the year. They started finding some things, won some big ones, and then you know could could drop it into cruise control there on 95 and roll. 
But I think these next two weeks are going to be interesting for him. Um, the one thing that you and I have talked about a lot in that length on this show has been about Nebraska and their ability to come out and play tight. Yep. And they're still searching for that complete football game. Um, yep. Have never gotten ran out of the stadium. It might happen this week. It might not. I'm not, I'm not making any predictions. But what I am saying is, is um, definitely not a market down W for Wisconsin. No. And then Minnesota, um, you know, again, another another thing and something that I alluded to early on or when I was talking, when we were talking about the game just a few minutes ago was, you know, Minnesota has a chance to uh, to go out and beat Wisconsin head to head, get some help. Who knows yes. what happens, right? And that's a rivalry um, game, too. And you can I mean, things start to happen, you know, right? Stuff goes out the window with Iowa sitting at two. They got Illinois and Nebraska. So yeah. I think Iowa, um, you know. Well, I don't want to jump the gun with Illinois. Yeah, say Illinois like, is, is like they might in it. terms of being the giant killers. Yeah, they might throw it nine times and run it for you know four hundred on you. It's like it's like damn West Point. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, but they got Illinois and Nebraska, right? So I think um, I think they can get some things right this week, get some guys healthy, and and get some things going in the right direction, find some identity. Who knows? Um, but I, I do I do think Wisconsin has complete control of this they control their own destiny and that's mm -hmm. a really good position to be in especially going into a little bit of a tougher stretch heading down the heading down the pipe here yeah and the the thing i'll say about their their upcoming matchup which we'll get into a little bit deeper is for all of the issues that nebraska has had their defense has been very good this year and yep. we are we're starting to get a feel for what this wisconsin offense has the potential to be but now they're going to face a capable defense again coming off mm -hmm. of a week of rest because Nebraska was off last week. So yep. this ought to be interesting just to see in terms of their defense we know is phenomenal, but when it comes to their offense going up against a capable defense, what can they do? Um, and Nebraska got a little more security with that whole Scott Frost thing going down. So they, they, the locker room got a little bit more definition with what the future looks like. And, and Scott might know. be a little bit more loose calling the game. Yeah. Too, knowing he's and back. those kids and those kids, you know, they, they didn't quit on him. Not no, once they played hard for they him quit all him. year. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that you said last week. And I completely agree with you. They haven't, they have not quit on him. And, um, you know, who knows, maybe that little bit, of confidence boost from the administration there permeates throughout the locker room heading into this week. He's 100% on board with that. So next thought here, um, and this is just, is really open-ended and you can kind mm -hmm. of take this where you would like to take it, but I need yeah. some perspective on what's happened or what is happening with Penn State, because this was a team that early on in the year, they got a big win against Wisconsin, and then we saw them beat Auburn in what ended up being a very, very good football game where we felt like we learned a lot. They were cruising. Then they played Iowa in that you know top six matchup and had some injury issues, and it seems like from that point, the whole thing has flipped on its head. Um, yeah. what, what have you seen, and where do you think the program goes from here? Well, it's a little bit of a reverse of last year, right? You know, you, they came out, I think, started started 0-5 last year and finished and won, won four in a row. Um, started out 5-0 this year, 4-0, whatever it may have been, 5-0. And then, and then, you know, whatever. And, you know, have stumbled here in the back half, right? Um, 
this is interesting because it's going to segue into something I want to ask you. Uh, so I'll try not to mix this up too bad. Um, we've touched on it. Uh, and I've, I've, I've seen a couple of the reporters that cover Penn State, some guys that I'm familiar with that are still there from when I was there. But when you look at it, you know, Penn State's 10 and 9 in the last 19 games, right? Yep. Um, trending from where they were building off of the Trace McSorley era mm-hmm. and even Cliff's first year, you know, they're 11 and 2. They win the Cotton Bowl um, in 2019. And then the last two years have just been – I mean, it's it's been unacceptable. I mean, honestly, the direction where it's been going, it's been unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this week heading into Rutgers is going to be an interesting one because Rutgers is scratching and clawing for bowl eligibility. Mm-hmm. They got they got Penn State and Maryland left. Yep. Um, big win, obviously, last week for Rutgers – I think that this week is going to tell you a lot about the state of the locker room at Penn state. Mm. If they come out flat again, um, I think that there's definitely without getting too much into it, I think there's definitely some issues and some question marks within that locker room. If that's the case, Um, if they come out and handle business the way they should, then I will eat my crow and keep, keep it moving. But I just think that this week will be a big week for all of Penn state fans to tune into and just don't even don't even worry about the X's nose just watch the attitude watch the sidelines watch the body language and I think that'll tell you a lot about the state of the program now to segue into what I was going to want to get into about this so when you look at it I wanted to kind of go into like the state of the Big Ten right so we have the east which is so heavily loaded Mm -hmm. and this is going to segue into this as well so like to me Penn State has been the loser of of this growth that has happened in the East. I think that they've come out as the top. They're, they're definitely the loser. And it's not, um, the big 10 isn't structured as the sec is where you have some division, some, some, some balance within the divisions. It's such a heavily loaded East within the big 10. Um, it's just, to me, I think it's almost impossible for it to be sustainable. I don't know if you see it as something that can be sustainable, the success that the Big Ten's had specifically in that division yeah. with recruiting, with the transfer portal, with all these things that we've talked about. Do you think that it's sustainable, the level of play and what's going on on this side of the conference? Well, it's interesting that you asked that because this is a conversation that we at the Big Ten Network in the green room like to have just – you know, spitballing. And um, I've been vocal about this publicly where I don't think that the East and West divisions should exist the way that they should because of that imbalance. Um, Before I get too far into it, I know that's something that James Franklin likes to talk about, and I don't necessarily think he's wrong, but I also think the context of two of his losses this year have come to teams in the West is very important too. Um, And it's, but it's to say that it's he he doesn't have the margin of error right if he was in the west it would be a very different story and so and so this is where it needs to go is we have to understand some of the factors that are at work here and this is not to be a conspiracy theorist but this is to say why maybe it's not as urgent of a an issue to tackle is the team who wins the east 
more than likely would get into a four-team playoff or the team who even comes second in the East, which we've seen, would get into a four-team playoff, right? And so it doesn't matter, I think, for them to change it because everybody succeeds when somebody from the East is good. But when you're talking about players having an opportunity, when you're talking about parity, like if you're Penn State, if you're, if you're Michigan, in some of the years where they've been close, you, you, you don't think they want to be over there and, and play Wisconsin and Iowa and those teams and, and see if they can duke it out over there every single time. And so I, I think it's a conversation that's valuable. Do you switch the divisions from east and west to maybe north and south? That might be a little bit more uh, balanced. Do you do it to where it's just one through 14 and the top two teams at the end of the deal play? I don't know, but I think I think it's a valuable question to ask if you are a team, really, Penn State has suffered because they've been the closest and haven't been able to pull it off. But if you're Michigan State, who's only pulled it off once in the East-West division, Michigan hasn't done it. Where do you go? Because the only the only one who can really do this thing in the East is Ohio State. That's it. Yeah, but here's but here's my thing with that though, right? So if you're Penn State, you've been close and you did it within the within recent memory, you've done it, right? What's the justification for the fall off then? You have all the facilities, you have you have the you have the the track record as of late to be able to go out and recruit at a high level. You have all you have everything going for you. So what's the justification for the fall off, right? There's no justification. Like, like to me, like you can't, you can't sit there and say you can't blame it solely on the kids. You can't blame it. Like, let me let me tell you what I see, so as to to not put you in a position that you probably would want to avoid. I'll help you out with this. You can look specifically to the recruiting in the trenches on either side where offensively we've talked about this on the show a lot of times they got a problem in the trenches on offense and I don't like these are some players that were supposed to be like all big 10 potentially all American level players that have not performed so that's a problem defensively across the lines they are not bad players whatsoever but they were built to compete with a specific type of team Ohio State where the guys are athletic and they can move. And we saw what kind of issues they presented up front for them, right? But it's, it's, that's a singular focus that'll get you caught up when you, when you play a different team that has a different type of game plan is number one. And then number two, it's something I mentioned off the top of the show. You, you got the fake punt. Why are you going for the fake field goal? It was from the two yard line. Run a freaking mm-hmm. play. If that's what you want to do, run a play. Like those are the types of plays that, that'll get you caught up to. Like that is where, that right there is an instance of where that is a rep that directly leads to an outcome that you do not want. And the flip side of that too is, and again, not to be too critical, but you can say that, yeah, you know what? I I probably would, if I could have that one back, I would have it. Not, I'm going to do the same thing next time. Yeah. It's, it's just really hard. To me, though, dude, it's like if you're that close, right? If like if you're as close as Penn State's been, if you're that close, there's the only thing that I can point to as a guy who's not in the building every day anymore 
and listening to the meetings and, and feeling the energy of the, of the building is complacency. That's the only thing that I can, that I can point it to is complacency because if I, if, if I was playing, if I was the leader of that team, if I was there and I was that close, right? Like if I was a game away, if I was 11 and two, 10 and uh, nine, and, well, they were nine and four. And then what was 16, 11 and two, right? Or something like that. But if I was right there, if I won it one year, if I was right there knocking on Ohio State's doorstep on the East, I would have the freaking pedal to the metal at every capacity possible. I would have, I would have, I would have consistency in the offensive, in the offensive room. I would have consistency defensively, which they have done, and that's paid off for them. And I will give them a ton of credit. Brent Pry's been there yes, since I was there. And it has been, job. it is, he has done a fantastic job. Yeah. But I would have the freaking thing floored, dude. All right. So but let's I would talk be about slamming that it through it. Okay. But but let's have this conversation though. Because I'll flip it to another team in the Big Ten. You're Nebraska, and you've been close with everybody that you've played against this year. It's it's a why 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 are they close and they can't get over the top? It's it's the same question. And and so I agree with you. I I don't know but, if it's complacency. but Nebraska I think, hasn't gone out and recruited the way Penn State has. Like Penn no, State has had all the they they've had they had access to all the kids. But they've it's had the way the that the games have gone. What I'm getting at is there is a human element for them as well because their mo is turn the ball over, dumbass penalty or bad special teams. That's a human element. You're talking about Penn State. 100 complacency is a human element. Who does that fall on, though? Because me and Jerry DiNardo on the Big Ten Network, we went back and forth because I'm a believer that there is a player in the locker room in every single locker room that can take control of the situation, regardless of what they think about their coach. And, and my example to this is I didn't lose very many games when I was at Ohio State. Urban was the <laughs> worst loser you could ever be around. And we saw it for the first time in 2013 in back-to-back -back games. We lost, and he was out of his mind. It just, he wasn't the same guy. And then 2014, we lost the second game of the year, and players in the locker room said, we're not going to let anything deter us from getting back on track, even if that means that we know coach is going to be however he is. It doesn't matter. And so there's a player that says that. But on the flip side, Donardo, with the coach's mentality, says it's not on players. The, the leadership comes from the top, and it's from the coach. It's probably a meet in the middle, but what has to happen to correct the human element? I think it's a meet in the middle because as a coach, you have to be able to go find the players that can do that the, from a recruiting standpoint. You have to be able to say, okay, this kid may be a three-star or a two-star or a zero-star, but his makeup, his ability, and see past whatever, whatever Rivals is saying about the kid, yeah. see past that and say, he has it and he can be a pillar in my locker room. But isn't that so right. difficult? Because then you you really got to get down to the nitty gritty how, and actually got to get to know kids. But how difficult is it? You had it at Ohio I know. State. <laughs> I'm saying. How difficult is it though? You it, know? But this is. I mean, you got to get to know kids. Yeah, but it, if you're but if you're recruiting, that's your job. I mean, you're responsible your for them for I, five years. I totally agree with you. It's it's interesting because the the recruiting world, as you well know, is not what it appears to be on the surface. Right. That's right. why there are so many misses, so many misses, because it's the due diligence ain't being done the way people say it is. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to tell you what, because I saw stats on this. 
Clemson, and I know this is like weird because of where they are this year, but has, over the past 10 years, 15 years, right? Clemson's been a powerhouse. They've been one of the five, if you want to say it, like five, five programs in the country that you could pretty much before the year started, you could, you could probably go into Vegas and say, all right, I'm putting my money on Clemson and probably yeah. have a chance to hit it. Right. Clemson has offered, I think like 187 kids or somewhere they haven't gotten over like 205 kids in yeah. their recruiting classes over yeah. the past, like seven or eight years. You look at a school, I think like Tennessee yeah. two years ago, a hundred thousand kids, 458 yes. kids. Yeah. Right. So I think there's two different approaches, right? And I think to get to where you can offer 100 kids, you have to go out and shoot your shot. You have to go You have to go throw shit on the wall and see what sticks, right? right? And hope you get lucky. But when you get there, that's my point, is like when Penn State got there, now we were 11-2 and two last year. Hey, we won the Big Ten last year. Hey, like you had the you had the, the on-the-field play to back up the ability to go and start saying, okay, I want to handpick this kid. I want to handpick this kid. I want to handpick this kid. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm competing against Ohio State, but your ability to be able to go out and handpick these kids is now you went from competing you to me, you went from competing with just Ohio State to now you're competing with Ohio State, Michigan, and the marvel of Mel Tucker, right? Yeah. And yeah. now you're gonna really see how good of a recruiter and how good Hell of a talent yeah. evaluator you are. Right. Right. So I think that's where Penn State is at this point is you're now you, you you were there and now because of what's happened on the field whether you want to say the margins are the margins whatever it is good teams figure it out you're now here you have to somehow figure out how to make up those steps that you took back right and who does that fall on right right it's um it's an interesting balance man because you're talking about evaluating which is which is difficult in and of itself but now you're talking it's about hard. building relationship too you yeah, know, because if you're, if you're going to go out there and you're going to say, okay, we're not going to offer a ton of kids. You better have a strong relationship with the kids you offer or else you're going to be ass out when signing day comes around. Um, it's, it's really unique though. It is so unique. This idea of trying to get over that mountain or why can't you, why, why are you stepping back instead of stepping forward and how hard it truly is? Like it, what, Part of this, I'm speaking like it's easy, and I get that, and I, no. I'm happy that you're bringing that in because it's not easy. That's but. what I'm saying. Like part of this is when you think about in Alabama, in Oklahoma, or in Ohio State, the way that they have been able to perform over the last decade should not should not happen. It's it's extremely uncommon, right? 100%. But but they do they they conduct business differently, and that's why they get the different results. It's a good point, man. I can't argue with you, but I'm happy we dove into that because I think that's some good stuff. Yeah. I don't think many people get that stuff, so I'm happy we got into that. No, this now is let's really move on to Rutgers in Indiana. Yeah, I'll get you. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of let you take the lead on this because this is, <laughs> these are these are two teams that we both really like. We like the personalities. We like the head coaches. This was absolutely illuminating, though, because this was, in my mind, and I said this, I think, last week, a matchup opponent, if you're Rutgers, where – where you don't necessarily have to rise above your level. You just have to play the game plan and not mess it up. But mm -hmm. then before the game, you find out that they're down like two key players on defense. Yeah. Oh, Fadakasi is one of the best linebackers in the conference. They ain't playing. 
And so it's like, ah, oh, man, this becomes a little bit more difficult. And they didn't give a damn. They went out there. They forced six turnovers. I mean, six turnovers in the game. We're able to put 38 points up on the board, held Indiana to three. This is, this is what Greg Schiano does. And he's closing in, right? Because the margin is thin for them to get to where they want to be a bowl game. And he laser focused with this team, gets them on track with a convincing win over Indiana. Yeah, I think, I think that early, early season success for Rutgers was that. They were forcing turnovers. They were getting short fields for an offense that doesn't really have explosion and the ability to go out there and throw be like, all right, I got you. Throw the team on their back and start moving right. the football and doing it in a very in – in a militaristic, militant fashion, right? Off, that's not them offensively. Um, but defensively, with the proper matchups, they have the ability to go out and do that. They did that. They walked the walk. They went back to it. And that's, that's, that's you know, I, I wouldn't expect anything less from Shiano mm-hmm. in terms of preparation and what he does. And like I said, and you, like you said, very high on that guy. Uh, flip it over to Indiana. It's been very, it's been a, it's been an extremely disappointing year. Um, probably second or probably Penn, the more, the only team that's been most disappointing to me than Penn State has been Indiana in terms of what has happened and transpired from the pedestal they were on last year to where yeah. they are this year, right? Um, and I think that they, they have even more work than Penn State does to be able to get back to where they were. But to your point, um, I think they have the right head guy in place to be able to do that and right that ship. Yeah. I think they just – they're a couple players away. There's some consistency away and some key yeah. positions to be able to do it. So I'm not worried about it. But flipping it back over to Rutgers, um, really excited for this team. We talked about it early. I think this is, a, this is a five-year build plan for this team. Yep. But they're doing the things the right way. And if they get to a bowl game this year, that will be massive for them. It will yes. be huge. Yep. And, um, you know, they got – they got a huge opportunity to get a marquee win for them this year against Penn State. It's going to be big, no matter what Penn State's record is, to be able to, to be able to beat a yeah, team I mean, that has that's, had such a stronghold. It's it's an ask and it's a huge thing. But, but it's that 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 is a big win though to jump in on that because yeah. Penn State they're they're going into Jersey and getting guys. That's what that was literally going to be my next point. I said for I was going to say for a team that has such a stronghold in your backyard from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah. Um, it, it would be huge for them, right? Absolutely. If it doesn't happen. You got Maryland. And that's a place where Rutgers can now start going in battle too. I mean, that's a, that's a talent yes, from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah. So, so they got some really unique opportunities from a big picture standpoint and total state of the program recruiting top to bottom. Um, and ultimately it will lead to them being able to go and play in a bowl game. So, uh, I think it's I think it's a, a hell of an opportunity for Rutgers, hell of an opportunity for Greg, and, and I think his vision in terms of where he wants to take things. Um, so, not necessarily pulling for him this week, but you know, hoping hoping that they keep things going because I think it'll just be good for the total health of the conference. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, you brought up some really good points. The recruiting aspect, not just for this upcoming game, but against Maryland, if they can get that win, go into the DMV and, and, and mm-hmm. take that. Hop, also, skip, and a bounce. I'm telling you. But also, a bowl game for Rutgers. Hell of a tool yep. to recruit with. Hey, yep. I mean, 
we're, we're not even close to where we want to be. And we made it to a bowl game. Imagine if you came here, what type of game we could go to and the things that we can do. Like Greg, come, Greg come be a part of this. He's going to sell it. And it's, yep. he's one of the most intriguing guys to me because I know for some people, he is extremely hard to like. And yeah. I, I get that. But I also think that if, if people had the opportunity to get to know him on a personal level, it, they would feel very differently. And I'm saying this as a guy who I never actually played for him, but he treats me like a, a guy that played for him every time I'm yeah. around him. It, it, yeah. There's a reason why he's getting his players to rise to the level that they are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny because he's literally using the same blueprint that he did when he did it at Rutgers, however many years ago. Right. Um, it, it, like, that's where he has a head up on any other guy that would ever be able to go in there and take that, that take that program over and try to do what he's doing. He's already done it. He, he knows the formula for success and he's just slowly knocking down each domino hopping over each hurdle and saying, all right, I know what's next. He's, yep. he already is three moves ahead. And um, I think it's a really good position for Rutgers to be in. I'm with you, man. All right, let's uh, let's get this thing wrapped up. We're going to take a, a look at some previews in this last segment here. Uh, first game on the docket, Purdue versus Northwestern. Purdue favored by 11 and a half. This is at Wrigley Field. Um, Northwestern, bad defensively, bad offensively. Purdue tried to bounce back. I think yeah. this might be, might be a 20-point game. Yeah, yeah, I think Purdue covers. I'm, I like I said, I'm a huge fan of O'Connell. I think he's got a, I mean, arguably one of the hottest quarterbacks in the country right now in the last four games. Um, the kid, uh, kid's playing really good ball right now. I think he keeps it up, and as long as he keeps it up, um, Purdue's got a chance against anybody. Totally with you on that. Uh, next game, we've got Rutgers at Penn State. Penn State favored by 18 and I think you said it pretty well earlier about the expectation for Penn State how they come out in this game and so this is how we'll judge them is is your favored by 18 it needs to be somewhere in that neighborhood and if it's not then we need to really start asking the difficult questions 100 percent um I'm with you as a better I'd stay away from it I would too. um but um yeah I think I think there's just too many there's too many factors that have absolutely nothing to do with football that are going to go into this game for both sides, yeah. um, or at least the football being played on that field. Yeah. So we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. But as a better, I'd completely stay away from that game. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, we got Michigan State at Ohio State. Ohio State is favored by twenty, and um, this this will be really really interesting for me as somebody who has been very critical of my alma mater's defense, you know, what I did was defense um, because, because they haven't had to face an offense that has weapons that can hurt you either way. Ohio state has not faced a good running attack since the first two weeks where they had Mo Ibrahim in Minnesota. And then they had CJ Verdell and uh, Brown, the quarterback from Oregon who, had 270 rushing yards on them. So yep. it'll be, it'll be interesting. Ohio state 
went away from the three deep coverage that they had been running and some of the man-to-man they've been running cover two. not a good run defense. So they're probably going to have to get the box count back. Um, and now I'm curious to see what happens when they have to have answers for a guy like Kenneth Walker, but also a guy like Jaden Reed on the edge, Jalen Naylor, if he plays in the game. Yeah. I think, I think the other unique thing, and I think one of the things that gets overlooked about Peyton Thorne's game is his ability to run the football. He is um, he's runner. no slouch. He's yeah. no slouch. Um, and I think that that's, that's a tool that Michigan State can use selectively. You don't want to get the, you don't want the kid carrying it 20, 20 times in a game like this. You need him. Right. But I think it's a tool where they can use that to balance out that box and really force Ohio State to start really dedicating some hats to the run game. Yeah. Um, to get those favorable matchups on the outside, which they've been able to take advantage of all year. Um, I mean, I think, I think Naylor and Reed, if, if Naylor plays are, are they're as good as anybody. They're really explosive, really dynamic. Yeah. I mean, um, if, if Naylor and Reed, if, if Naylor plays, obviously Reed's going to be in the game plan. You got Jackson Smith and Jigba. You've got Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Those are five of the top 10 receivers in the big 10 conference in one game yep, on I, one field yeah, against two pass yeah. defenses that aren't great. Like Ohio state could yeah. feasibly throw for 600 yards in this game. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's, that was my next point. I mean, I, I expect this game to be a flat out shootout. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could very easily see it being one of those 50, 42, 48, 38, 48, 34 type games where yeah. it's, it's they're they're cooking with gas on both sides. And I don't think, you, you brought up a great point uh, for Ohio State in terms of what they've seen from a running attack. Kenneth's going to go ahead and get his. And mm-hmm. he's, he's proved that. He's proved that. So you can pretty much bank on it being about a buck, buck 50, somewhere in yeah. that range, if not yeah. more. Um, he so he's, he's going to go get his. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's earned that. So um, that'll be really interesting. It, it will be. It will be absolutely intriguing. And I would be shocked if this was anything other than a shootout as well. I think both teams are going to be able to put up points. It's just going to be a matter of you can't turn the ball over if you're either team. You've got to make most of the possessions. If, if you're one of the defenses and you can get a turnover, that's definitely going to benefit you. But that'll be a fun one. Um, possessions are gold. I'm telling you, man. Illinois at Iowa. Iowa favored by 12 and a half I, i'm i'm gonna be completely honest i'm not exactly sure that they're 12 and a half points better than illinois because they cannot run the football and i don't necessarily trust them throwing the ball and and this is to say that illinois probably isn't going to score very much but i don't think i was going to score very much either i agree i Another game I'm staying away from. I just don't trust Iowa. I, I don't see – there's not enough consistency on either side of the ball um, with both of these teams. So, uh, dude, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm out of here. I have nothing else to say about it. I'm, I'm done with that one. <laughs> I'm done with that one. All right, let me get you on this next one. Minnesota favored by seven at Indiana. Um. Indiana is in bad shape right now, and not because I think that they're necessarily actually a bad football team, but injuries have taken a toll specifically at the quarterback position. Their offensive line has some real problems as well. And then defensively, they've lost a couple of bodies, and I'm not exactly sure how they're going to hold up with 
pound the rock, possess the ball, Minnesota. I don't think there's going to be a ton of points, but I think Minnesota is going to be able to cash in on some drives and Indiana's not. I agree. I think, uh, I think Minnesota just taking the approach of what we talked about earlier, like, Hey, we just gotta, we just gotta do what we did last week. Keep it going, keep things going offensively. Um, you know, they're going to get some opportunities to take the ball away defensively. Um, so if they can capitalize on that, I see this being a two score game. That's, Minnesota. that's where I'm at. That's where I'm yeah, at. Two score game, Minnesota. For sure. Alrighty. Uh, Michigan favored by 15 at Maryland. Um, so for the Wolverines, I think this is a game that could be overlooked because of what they have next week. But if they play their cards, right, this is a game that they could win by three or four touchdowns and really set the tone for how they want to enter the rivalry game. I completely agree with you, man. Um, you know, the one thing we've talked about is Maryland being another team that's kind of been banged up all year. Yeah. Um, I think they lost you know, another receiver in the game gosh. against Michigan State, too. It's just when they, when, they, when, when they had all their weapons, you know, they were a team that I think could go out and, and, and play that track meet type, type ball game. Uh, right now, you know, when, when you're dealing with things like that, it's, it's hard. Guys haven't gotten many reps. Talia hasn't gotten many reps with them. Um, so they're, they're, they're kind of backpedaling. And I think it's a great – I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's a great opportunity for Michigan. Build off of last week, really start getting some things going really start being able to mesh some of that running game with the past game and, and, and start putting some things on tape for Ohio state to think about yep. um, while Ohio state's probably going to be in a track meet this week. So got their hands um, yeah, yeah. Do what you got to do um, and then get ready. So this is the one comment I will make on this. And this is really interesting. I had this conversation with a uh, friend of mine who's a Michigan fan over the weekend, but I said the worst thing that can happen if you're Michigan in this game is that you let, Maryland run you up and down the field defensively because the next week you're going to be coming into a game against Ohio State who's going to want to do the exact same thing so for them I think what's going to be key is Hutchinson Nojabo being able to to knock the quarterback down so they're not chasing wide receivers all across the field after he throws the football yeah, 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 possess the football offensively too. Like really, like out. like win win the time of possession. Rely yeah. on that run game. Possess the football. That's a great point. Give that defense, you know, short bursts on the field. Get them off. Yep. Control the football and, and keep it moving. That would be the plan there. And then finally, we've got Nebraska at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is favored by eight and a half. And I mentioned this earlier, and I truly believe this. We saw this with what happened with Scott Frost's staff they didn't touch anybody on the defensive side of the ball because it's a very good defensive unit. Eric yep. Shenander, their defensive coordinator has done a really good job. And here's Wisconsin feeling like they've gotten back in the groove of things offensively. And Graham Mertz has been a lot better. And I think Braylon Allen is a phenomenal young talent at running back. This is going to be a test. This defense for Nebraska can cause them some issues. Yeah. Big test. I think this is going to be a ball game. Um, for all the reasons that we've talked about, I think Nebraska's got fresh legs. Um, I th you know, I think that that, that little, little boost of confidence, little bye week, 
guys got to go home, get a home cooked meal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all those things uh, bode well um, for Nebraska to be able to come out and be really healthy, be, be really uh, have the ability to clean some things up. And like I said, I think if Nebraska comes out and plays their most, their most complete football game, they don't have to play out of their minds. Right. They just have to play complete. Um, they're going to give Wisconsin all they can handle, I think, if they come mm-hmm. out and just don't shoot themselves in the foot and play to their potential. Yep. They're going to give they're going to give Wisconsin all they can handle. Yep. Can't have mistakes and penalties. Correct. Can't turn the football over. Can't do the special teams issues. Correct. Can't do those things. And I agree with you. They will be in a position at the end, at least to have a very good shot at getting the dub there. Um, this one was a good one. Feel like we got to hash some things out between the both of us. Really dig into some of the issues here. Um, vent our family frustrations as well, which is always good. I, I had some things to get off my chest, as did you. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is where you come for that, though. The best analysis in Big Ten football you'll receive anywhere on the JP and Hack Show, part of the Field of Twelve Media Network, Season One, Episode Thirteen, presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. Christian Hackenberg, always a pleasure to do the show with you. Keep it going. Let's keep it going. I'm Joshua Perry. We're signing off. Stay tuned.